You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Training camp is in session. The Eagles' first preseason game this Saturday against the Baltimore Ravens, and the NFL season has officially kicked off, and with the fake games, of course, but still, we are finally talking football after a long offseason. Actually, it's probably a shorter than normal offseason because they went to the Super Bowl, but it feels longer, right? When you go this long without NFL football, it feels like a really long time. And so the Eagle season finally starting to get ramped up. And we've got a couple of great guests coming up for you here on this episode of the podcast. My good buddy, Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network is going to stop by to talk about the birds, some of the big storylines going on with the Eagles, as well as which NFC contenders does he think are most likely or has the best chance of knocking the Eagles off the top of the conference perch. And then I'm going to talk to Matt Minicharian, Senior Vice President of Football and Data Analytics for Sports Info Solutions. He's got a great podcast uh, in which uh, this, in their last episode of the podcast, or at least um, I think it was uh, late last week, they took a look at the over-unders for the win totals of all the different NFC teams. So we'll figure out what he thinks about where they have, where, where Vegas has the Eagles right now and the rest of the teams that the Eagles could be looking at in the NFC. We're I'm telling you, we're keeping an eye on the enemy here during the course of this offseason as we get ready for some Philadelphia Eagles football. The training camp is fully kicked into gear now as the Eagles are getting ready to start the preseason this weekend against the Baltimore Ravens, who have not lost a preseason game since the Reagan administration, and they weren't even around <laughs> then. So, I mean, that tells you how weird that little streak is. Joining me to talk about the Eagles as we get ready for what we hope will be a return run to the Super Bowl, the great Mike Garofalo, friend of the podcast. You know him from the NFL Network, and uh, he's joining us to talk about the birds and a little bit about the NFC as well. Mike, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy. How are you, buddy? You got it. How, uh, John, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to talk to you. I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the vibes are real good around this Eagles team right now. Everybody's really optimistic. When you look at the roster, in my eyes, it looks like the most complete roster in the NFC. Obviously, there are weak points with this team. Every team has weak points. Seems to me the Eagles have fewer weak points than anyone else, especially after the moves they made at linebacker last week. Can you talk, what What do you think was the impetus between, behind Howie Roseman making those moves now? I expected something during the preseason, but I was kind of surprised they added two guys and that they did it before we even started playing preseason games. Yeah, I think they added two guys to get a, a nice long look at them and uh, see which one fits the best. Uh, yeah, maybe you retain both, but at some point you're going to have to make some tough roster decisions because you're right, this is the deepest, uh, most balanced roster that you get in the NFL. So, uh, yeah, it felt like something that they would do kind of in the regular season and say, hey, you know what, we just don't have enough there. 
Look, we know where this team spends its money. We know where it doesn't spend its money. It doesn't spend its money at the running back position. That's why Miles Sanders is now in Carolina, and they've got a committee approach uh, at the running back position. They also don't do it at linebacker. That's never been something that they've really done. So this is a way of getting some value here. Um, I, I would Now, there are teams that are looking for that. Uh, we saw Anthony Barr. Uh, visit the Saints. So I think maybe Howie Roseman and company understood that if we wait too long, these options aren't going to be out there. So uh, maybe that's the impetus for why they did it when they did it. Um, they are selling it as they're not worried about N'Kobe Dean and they feel like he's going to be able to hold up and play the position and be the leader that they expected him to be. Uh, I don't know about that. I think that's probably <laughs> yeah. not entirely the truth. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, which is not to say that they're down on him or they're right. doubting him. He got banged up the other day and it's like, he's an undersized guy. Is he not going to be able to play the position? I, I don't think it's that it's just, Hey, we need to throw a little bit more right here. Maybe these guys who have been around, can kind of show him a little bit more of what he needs to do. Yeah, I mean, when Christian Ellis is kind of like your your next best guy there, but I mean, both are just unproven. You, there, there was just no certainty there. And yeah. you got Morrow they brought in on a on a one year deal that they can cut for for no no money lost, no cap hit whatsoever. So, uh, you know, once once Dean went down and you saw who they were putting out on the field, I think Howie Roseman's probably sitting upstairs and looking down and like. We got to get somebody in here who's who who's played this game at this level before because they just as good as Dean looks and you know he's gonna have the green sticker on his helmet he's gonna be making the calls that's still a lot to put on a guy who has never proven anything at the NFL level. Yeah, and to get a guy like uh, Miles Jack who has had the knee stuff early in his career but has played I, I honestly like hearing what I heard about his knee early in his career if you told me he'd still be playing in 2023 I'd say there's just no way that that's mm. gonna happen so. Uh, he's proven that he's been able to play on that knee. And uh, I love the story of him when he was uh, out of football, realizing that he not had yeah. to do something else, but wanted to do something else. Yeah. That's the kind of guy that I can get behind. Uh, had made enough money over his entire career, just said, hey, I don't want to be sitting here idle. So yeah. um, that's, a, that's a good guy to have around. It's a good work ethic. Uh, and let's see if he winds up being the guy that sticks and plays a key role for this team. Do you see them making a move at safety over the next couple of weeks as well? I know Reed Blankenship has a little bit more experience than than Dean does. He looked good last year. They're high on Sydney. Now I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Sydney Jones. Sydney Brown. Sydney Brown. Yeah, not Sydney Jones. Yeah. That was the that was no, that didn't work out. So yeah, they got Sydney Brown there. <laughs> I know they're hoping. I think that he takes one of those jobs. But do you anticipate them doing something similar at the safety position? I don't know that there's a lot of options out there, to be honest with you. Um, it, it could this might be the one that maybe they get into the regular season and say, hey, we've got to make a move there and uh, add someone there. Or, or maybe somebody pops free at the final cut deadline there. And uh, there, there, there's always veterans available. But is it worth doing what you're doing uh, or, or making that move to disrupt what you're trying to get set up at the safety position? You're right. They are high on Sidney Brown. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I would expect them to nose around and certainly be in the mix at some point. Uh, but it just doesn't seem to me like it's very uh, imminent as far as making the move the way that they did at the linebacker position. There was an article on Bleacher Report out this week saying that the Rams could trade Aaron Donald if they fall out of contention. And I think the expectation is the Rams are going to have a kind of a tough year and that they could look to move Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald at some point between now and the trade deadline. That's not surprising. But the fact that they linked the Eagles to that particular scenario was surprising to me, given the, the investment they've already made at the defensive tackle position, that the defensive line uh, is is one of their strongest positions. If not, you could make the argument, I think, that it might be the strongest position positional group on the team. I'd go offensive line, but it just doesn't seem like a match there. It doesn't seem like a fit, given what they already have. What did you, what did you make of that report? 
I, I think there's, uh, you know, some frustration in the Eagles front office every time that there's a big name free agent out there. They are always connected to that uh, <laughs> fr- uh, to that free agent. It's like, well, they just throw us in there because they know we investigate everything, number one. And also uh, other teams are trying to push us out there to kind of uh, drive up the price of the team that, that uh, sometimes is making the player available knows that they could put the Eagles in the mix and it might scare some other teams. Uh, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean, he's got a $35 million uh, number coming his way next year, right? Mm. So how do you fit that into what yeah. you're trying to do at the defensive line position? Uh, you know, Fletcher Cox potentially could come off the books next year, but that's, you know, what, you pay $12 million now? That's three times what you're paying him uh, for this season here. Does yeah. it make a whole lot of sense? Uh, you know, but uh, I never discount anything when it comes to Howie Roseman. I guess we'll see where all the teams are. You know, if they if they suffer an injury, now all of a sudden that changes things. So potentially, if you grab this clip and they trade for Aaron Donald in a couple of uh, months because they had a dire need at the position, I I throw that disclaimer in here right now just in case that comes around. <laughs> Outside of linebacker and safety, is is there any spot on the Eagles where you see any kind of weakness or or where they? You know, you're you're a little concerned, maybe, about what they what they might have there. No, I, I just that's that's. I mean, you, 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 let's go let's go position by position, right? Wide receiver, absolutely not. Even Quez Watkins has been a guy that is. I don't say even. I, let, let me rephrase that. I always have thought higher of Quez Watkins than maybe the fan base does, and I understand there's been some key mistakes in yeah. key moments that lead to that. Uh, but I think the guy's a terrific player. I believe he's a free agent after this year, and he's going to make a lot of money. I believe with another team. And maybe that fan base will be like, who is Quez Watkins? I've never even heard of that guy <laughs> if they're a casual fan. Yeah. That, that's my early prediction for guy who's going to make money in sprint, in the spring that a lot of other people are going to be like, where did that come from? Uh, so they certainly have depth at that spot. The offensive line, I don't even think it's debatable how deep they are. Uh, you know, tight end, maybe if Dallas Goddard goes down and we did see him get injured last year, uh, potentially there could be. Uh, a little bit of a, uh, uh, you know, especially when you're used to having two guys in the position the way that they've had in the past with Dallas Goddard uh, and Zach Ertz. But, yeah, outside of that, um, you know, it, it's it's clearly the positions, and even running back, right? Like I said, they don't spend money at running back, but they've got four guys that they can throw at this yeah. thing who have different skill sets. Um, you, you can't look at that as a position of weakness. And I fa- frankly like the philosophy that Howie Roseman has at that running back position. I know that there's this whole push for paying running backs in the NFL right now. I don't understand why everyone's looking at it like some kind of charitable thing. <laughs> it's a business, right? Yeah. Like, and if it was happening at the, like the center position has been flat really yeah. the last couple of years, nobody's holding up the collection plate for the centers, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I, again, I like the approach they have at that running back position. And uh, I, I think the, those guys are going to do well as a committee. The one spot that you didn't mention that I think is a concern, but it would probably be a concern no matter who they had as backup quarterback. The the early reporting on Mariota this yeah. this summer has has been that he hasn't looked that great. Of course, he got benched by the Falcons last year. A decent runner. I think he certainly matches or at least gives you 80% of what Jalen Hurts gives you running the football. But passing the football, if Hurts is out for any length of time, you could you know, that could be a real problem. And that would have been a, that was a problem last year with Gardner Minshew. I don't know who they could have gone out there and gotten that would have made the loss of Jalen Hurts uh, tolerable. But any concerns about Mariota? It, what is your level of concern with Mariota as the backup? Yeah, it's been it's been a uh, a spotty training camp so far for him. I want to see how he does in the preseason games. I think it's a guy who, um, you know, he's, he's really trying to find a different way to reset his career. And 
reuniting with Arthur Smith last year really should have been the spark and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was not the greatest roster in the world. We knew they're still in the middle of a rebuild or were in the still in the middle of a rebuild last year. Um, so, uh, that, that was disappointing. Uh, also the way it ended was disappointing. It was kind of a, you know, he kind of was away from the team there yeah. at the end there. And, um, you know, I, I looked in his eyes, he's always kind of been that, he's not that fiery guy, but I kind of looked in his eyes while I was watching that quarterback show. And I was wondering to myself, you know, is this a guy whose confidence is just shaken to the core? Um, so yeah, I, I you know, it's backup quarterback. Yeah. I hate to tell a fan base that there's really not great options at backup quarterback when that fan base saw a backup quarterback win the Super Bowl, <laughs> um, yeah. which by the way, he's Nick's available. I, and he hasn't, <laughs> he, he hasn't officially retired. Right. I think the right situation, he would come back. Um, I don't know if this would be the right situation in his mind. Um, so, you know, maybe that's an option down there that we're revisiting in a couple of months. Uh, if you're the Eagles, you cross your fingers and hope you don't need it. Last thing on the Eagles, uh, Jalen Hurts voted number three, the number three player in the NFL by players, which is just incredible, way higher than I would have thought. I think it speaks to the respect that he's got, that he has from other players around the league. Uh, but as far as where he is in his in his growth as a quarterback, what what kind of season are you anticipating from him here in in 2023? It seems very difficult to think that he could be better than he was last year. Yeah, I mean, but he's progressing in a lot of ways. Um, and another year with uh, to work with some of these same guys. And, uh, you know, let's see what Brian Johnson's got from a play-calling standpoint, from an offensive coordinator standpoint. Um, but he, I, I looked, I saw him in training camp. I said, he, you look leaner. Uh, he said he hasn't dropped any weight, but he's cut the, the, the fat. It's now uh, 7.1% body fat, I believe is what he said. So he's leaner. Um, he's working harder. <laughs> Uh, and it's, it, it wasn't even by design. He just said kind of the way he did his offseason led to him having a leaner shape. So, mm. um, you know, perhaps that that helps him a little bit and he's in a little bit better shape coming into this season. I know that ankle thing that he took care of was sort of bothering him, but not overly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's I, I think he made a, a huge jump from a passing game recognition standpoint, what's happening on the field, what defenses are trying to do to him. So it's not going to be a marked improvement that he makes. If he may, it'd be marginal, um, but it, it's you know there, there's still some room for growth. He's still young, um, so who knows? Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting guy to watch this upcoming season. And yeah, 25 years old, pretty amazing. Um, looking at the NFC, which of the Cowboys or 49ers do you see as the biggest threat to the Eagles in the conference this year? Or is there a third team that I'm not that I'm not thinking of? To me, it seems Cowboys 49ers are the two teams that have the best shot. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys within the division, obviously they're going to see them twice. I know they see the Niners. Um, look, they handled the Giants last year twice, um, and that team should give them tougher games as well. Uh, I like Dallas. I like Dallas a lot. I think McCarthy is going to, uh, as as the new play caller, uh, go back to uh, a a philosophy that suits them better, which is to run the football um, as, a, as a philosophy and not just a let's call this play because we think it's going to get uh, big yardage. It's, we're going to mm. call this running play because that's kind of what we're trying to establish and work our passing game off of that and have that as a whole identity, which I think is smart, which I also think is uh, makes sense for them to bring Zeke back. I don't know why it hasn't happened to this point. I mean, I know why it hasn't happened. It's money, but there's not a lot of money out there for Zeke elsewhere, and it makes a lot of sense for him to 
you know, go back there and understand his role is going to be a little bit different, but it's one that could lead to both individual and team success uh, better than he may be able to find elsewhere. So, yeah, I like the Cowboys a lot. Um, I, I give Will McClay credit as the most underrated um, executive in the league in a large part uh, because Jerry Jones is the de facto general manager, but Will is the one that really is the engine that puts this roster together every year. And and, and they're, they're talented in a lot of places as well. They're, it's hard to find some weaknesses on that roster. And, and just with regards to the, to the 49ers, their, their main issue is the quarterback position. Yep. And now it sounds like Brock Purdy is going to be ready to go for the start of the regular season. It sounds like it, obviously there's, there are miles to go before that happens. Uh, but with the 49ers, there's also been a lot of chirping during the course of the off season by some of the players, not, not the whole team, but some of the players and, and certainly over what happened in the NFC championship game. Do you see a scenario where they take a step back this year? Maybe Brock Purdy, who is still largely, in my opinion, kind of unproven. I mean, he had a good stretch at the end of the year last year, but we're still talking about a seventh round quarterback who, basically was kind of taking the league by storm. We've seen quarterbacks, young quarterbacks kind of do that. I'm, I'm reminded of Bobby Hoying in Philadelphia who took the league by storm early and then wasn't yeah. able to sustain it. You know, what is your, what is your thought on Brock Purdy here in, in 2023 and his ability to build off of what he did last year? Uh, listen, Brock Purdy, uh, you know, everybody uh, here from fan bases or whatever saying, well, we passed on Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy anywhere else would not be Brock Purdy right now. Um, uh, in large part because he got the um, he got the opportunity because mm -hmm. of the injuries. Uh, and also he's a perfect fit for what Kyle Shanahan wants, which is why I, I still don't understand the need to a trade up the way that they did and B take Trey Lance. Uh, you know, I know that Mac Jones at one point was going to be the guy back there. And I think Mac Jones would have made a lot more sense and probably be better off in his career right now, if he had landed in San Francisco uh, but they, they got themselves a guy who works pretty well for what they did. I, I'm shocked that they committed to him as early as they did. I thought they would have had this thing being an uh, open uh, competition, especially because he had the injury. But for them to, to really signal that he's our guy um, showed how much trust they have in him based on that little uh, spurt that they saw of him last year. I, and to me, the question is defensively. Um, you know, it's, I, and I like Steve Wilkes. I think Steve Wilkes is a great. I think Steve Wilkes should be a head coach after what he did in Carolina last year. They should have let him continue with that job. Nothing against Frank Reich, uh, but it's a question mark because now you're disrupting a system that's been in place for a while, and you're bringing in a guy from the outside. D'Amico Ryan's had worked his way up, so when Robert Sala was gone, D'Amico Ryan stepped in, and you had that continuity. So maybe that's where they take the step back, even though they're incredibly talented on that side of the ball. I don't expect this Nick Bosa hold out the last end of the regular season. Uh, so they do have the the horses on that side of the ball, especially adding Javon Hargrave. Uh, the question is now, when you're playing a new system, does that lead to a little bit of a disruption? If there's a step back, I think it's on the defensive side of the ball for the Niners. Lots of interesting questions about the Eagles and the NFC here as uh, we're getting ready for another Super Bowl run. Of course, you're watching Mike Garofalo on the NFL Network. If you've got any sense at all, you can follow him on the Twitter machine or the X machine now. I don't know what we're calling this thing anymore. At Mike Garofalo. Mike, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it. You've got it, John. Thanks for having me, bud. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the things we've been talking about here during the course of the summer is really trying to get a sense of which NFC teams pose the biggest threat to the Eagles to reach the Super Bowl. And while I think the Eagles entered the season as the odds on favorite, but there are a couple teams out there and maybe there's a surprise team or two that could challenge the birds here in 2023. Joining me to talk about a little bit of what their metrics are saying about the NFC and where where they think the Eagles stand right now. Matt Manicharian, he's the Senior Vice President for Football and Data Analytics for Sports Info Solutions. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Mono. Matt, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It is great to talk to you. Um, I'm new to your podcast. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest, but I've listened to the last two or three episodes. I love the the over under episodes. Those are those are great. That's I, you know that's fantastic content. Over unders, everybody loves that, right? It's such an easy thing. Yeah, or worse, it's a it's a real Price is Right kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, no. If, if you're if you're into the Eagles, you're into the models showing 14 and a half wins for them this year. So yeah, you definitely like that. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the one of the uh, podcasts uh, that Matt hosts is uh, it's called Off the Charts. It's a, a SIS football podcast. It comes out every week. Uh, they've got a new one that just came out here on Friday that you're going to want to uh, take a listen to. Uh, one of the ones I want to talk to him about though was last week they did they took a look at Vegas's over unders and then they looked at their analytics and compared them and uh, made some picks on which teams they thought would most uh, overperform or underperform based on their models compared to what Vegas is saying right now. And so, yeah, you just mentioned the Eagles number that your that your computers spit out. 14 and a half wins for the Eagles here in 2023. I love that number. I'm thrilled that computers are saying the Eagles are going to be that good again here in 2023. And I think that talent-wise, this is certainly as good a team as last year. But I, I look at the strength of schedule this year compared to last year, and it, it gives me pause to think that they can rack up 14 wins again during the course of the regular season what are what are what were numbers were you were you guys looking at to get to the 14 and a half yeah so you know we we look at the line at 10 and a half and uh that seems low to me just uh kind of as an observer but um when we looked into our model it came out 14 and a half which is like whoa we didn't expect it to be that like nobody was going to take the over on, on 14 uh there so really uh we took a step back and to understand what the model is considering it's simulating the season uh mm. over and over and over again and it's telling you that that you know this is the most likely this was uh kind of the mean outcome was that 14 and a half so for all of the strength of you know the cowboys should be uh, a competitor this year for sure um and um it's hard to win that many games without losing any. Um, <laughs> this, despite all that, what it's looking at is the players that are going to be on their roster. 
how they're expected to perform based on their historical performance levels and actually simulate it out against the other teams that they're playing against. Mm. So maybe it's because they were just so good uh, up front offensively and in the secondary last year that um, these players going forward again, it's it, our models are going to love that. But uh, even so, I was surprised at just how high uh, things came out. And, and it's it's considering all those things. It's considering that. So pretty yeah. crazy. Is that the highest win total that that you guys came up with for any team? Yep, that came that they were the highest win total. I think the Chiefs were at like 13 and a half, something like that. But um the big difference there, I don't that's not saying that we think the Eagles are better than the Chiefs necessarily, but obviously AFC versus NFC this year, the the schedules are going to come into play. Yeah, for sure. The NFC much weaker conference than the AFC. Far far less great quarterbacks in in the NFC this year. Uh, I mean, yeah, in the NFC than you have in the AFC. But looking at some of the other NFC teams, what was the second highest win total that you guys spit out as far as NFC teams go? Was it the Niners? Uh, I think that's right. It was the it was the Niners. So we had them at twelve based on our model, which is over the eleven and a half that they're set at. And uh, when you look at the Niners, um, it's kind of again it's hard to see them winning less than that number of games, right? Like you try to figure out how to get there. It has to be a really bad Brock Purdy experience for that to happen. But the model is considering every game that he's played uh, in his career, which is all well, like seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's projecting him forward based on that. And it's also projecting all the other great players that they have on that roster. And I mean, when you look at the talent on that roster, uh, you can go to check out our partners at the 33rdteam.com. Your, your old guy, Joe Banner there, mm -hmm. uh, running that running that site. Um, we have something called a sonar depth chart that we built for them on the team pages on that site. You can look around, and when you look at that Niners roster, it's like that Eagles roster. It's just yeah. – it's a lot of really good players. Yeah, and, and obviously the question mark is, is Brock Purdy there? And one of the things that I, I mentioned to Mike Garofalo, who I had on just before you hopped on with me here, was – I am not 100% convinced Brock Purdy is this the next great franchise quarterback. I mean, I, I look at what he did last year. It was exceedingly impressive. There's no doubt about it. Um, he, he beat a couple of good teams, but he didn't really have to travel off the West Coast for, for any of his starts. Most of them were at home, including the two playoff games that he won. Now, he won two playoff games, so, I mean, that's... No, no small accomplishment. What, you know, so I give him all the credit in the world for what he accomplished last year. But you're still talking about the last guy picked in last year's draft and expecting with that seven game run that now he's the guy moving forward. And I just feel like there's not enough people pumping the brakes on Brock Purdy. I mean, if there's anybody pumping the brakes, it's mostly because of the health of the arm and questions about that. But I think everybody has bought Brock Purdy as a really good starting quarterback moving forward. And for I'm just not sold that we're definitely looking at that right now. What is your take on Purdy? My take is that I think within the scope of a Shanahan offense, if he's healthy, I think he's more than competent. So it's kind of funny. We're, we're, we're revisiting the history of back with the old, whatever the, the Washington commanders were called at the time. <laughs> um, back when the Shanahans were there, they obviously went through RG3 and him being injured and all that kind of stuff. But when you talk to people around the league after that time that, that know Kyle, all you hear is him saying, ah, oh, just get me a Kirk Cousins. All we need is Kirk Cousins. I could win with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> yeah. And that's why everybody thought he was going to bring him out there to San Francisco before, yeah. before Kirk got paid so much. But I think that that's there's really something true in that. I think obviously they drafted Trey Lance over Mac Jones and all that kind of stuff. But I think we might be – sort of reliving that history now, except now Kyle gets to make the final call. Yeah. And so I think that Purdy 
is not Justin Herbert. Um, he's not Trevor Lawrence. I think that that it would be kind of silly to try to start making that kind of an argument right now. I, I agree with you. The sample's not there. But if you're looking for somebody on a rookie contract that can fit into a Shanahan offense and then allow you to pay all those other players on your teams, the Bosa's of the world and people yeah. like that, now all of a sudden I think that you're talking about a guy that absolutely fits into the team and can be exactly what they need. Um, and and in a weird way, I would think that that Shanahan would prefer that over even having the Matt Ryan uh, mm. MVP level making making forty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. I mean, the the cost value of the young rookie quarterback, the Eagles saw that last year with with Jalen Hurts and how they were able to assemble a roster around him that was so dynamic all over the place because they could afford to go out and get CJ GJ late in the game and they could afford to go out and pay James Bradbury when the Giants couldn't. So there's definitely something to be said about that. And Kyle Shanahan's a fantastic offensive mind. He can make just about anybody work. See, Jimmy Garoppolo made the Super Bowl. So it's <laughs> certainly possible. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, um, Dallas Cowboys, I obviously Eagles fans, are afraid of Dallas, I think, a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know that Eagles fans are afraid enough, actually, as I as I think back to my, my scrolling on Twitter for the last month or two. Uh, the Cowboys handled them really well with Gardner Minshew at quarterback in Dallas. The Eagles handled them really well in Philadelphia the week before that. But I would have rather played the 49ers than the Cowboys in the playoffs last year. I was saying that even leading up to the game because something about the Cowboys, man, it's just I feel like that's a coin flip every time those two teams play. And that team looks good. I don't. What do you think about the Cowboys? Where does where does the model have the Cowboys coming in here? So my gut is right with you. The model has them only winning eight games this year, though. Wow. So this was this was the biggest stay away for all of us that were picking the over unders. Nobody wanted any piece of this one because I think intuitively we all think that the Cowboys are over a nine and a half team. Um, but in terms of the model, it has them only at at eight wins and. Again, it's taking into account the schedule. It's taking into account um, that Dak Prescott's expected to be in there, the healthy offensive line again, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Michael Parsons, for sure. Um, but even with all that, it's only coming in there. So for me, this was like the biggest stay away. Maybe good news for the Eagles fans that that the model thinks that, that the floor might fall out under the Cowboys this year. Um, I think a lot of that will come down to how well Mike McCarthy calling the plays goes for them. But um, if that goes well, I, I'm with you. I think the Cowboys are as much of a contender to the Eagles as pretty much anybody in the NFC. Yeah, and I, I don't think we can expect Dak Prescott to lead the league in interceptions again. I, I I feel like that's, I mean, he's he can get careless with the ball, but he he threw a lot of picks last year and missed a few games at the start of the season also. I mean, so I, I don't know that that's going to repeat itself, and I think that was a lot of the Cowboys' problems, uh, although they, you know, they still had a really good season. Um one of the other teams that I've been most fascinated by this offseason, and I see your model has them at 13 wins, the Detroit Lions. Um, I, I think that they are an up-and-coming team. I'm picking them to win the division. I think they are the best team in the North, but uh, the 13-win number uh, was definitely eye-opening. Where where are they seeing Detroit getting off to that kind of a, a jump this year? Yeah, sorry, I missed that one earlier. There was a team. So did I. I missed it, too. <laughs> So the Lions, again, one of these situations where I like them above nine and a half. I, I, I really like that in the division that they're in. The model came, popped off 13 wins for them, which to me is like, oh my, well, what is going on here? So yeah. looking underneath the hood, Jared Goff had a really good season last year. Um, he was he third in wins above replacement based on our metrics last year. 
in terms of what he did. He was a guy that, unlike Dak Prescott, he minimized the interceptions and he had all the production, you know, that they had there on the turf. I think they did a great job of protecting him. So I would be surprised if he was that high on our list again going forward. But at the end of the day, that combined with the improvements that they made defensively, the model cares much more about how you played in the second half of the year than the first half of the year. And it was their defense that really held them back for the first half of last year. Yeah. So I think that's a little bit of what's coming into here. But then also the model does not think much of the Vikings, for example. They thought they were a fraud team all last year. The Packers with the removal of Rodgers, they're a team that, that's not scaring anybody and uh, the Bears as well. So the weakness of the division maybe contributes to how high that model went. I'm with you. That seems like a little bit too much to me, but I I still like them to win the division there. And that if you're looking for a team that could sweep their divisional games this year, I, I think the Lions are as good a bet as any team in football to do that for the reasons you just mentioned, the rest of the competition, unless Justin Fields explodes and has a Jalen Hurts like season passing the football. Uh, right. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine them competing with the, with the, with the Lions at the top of the division. I think the NFC South is, is a really interesting division here too, because I know your models have uh, the Panthers and the Falcons at nine and a half, but they have the saints just above them at 10 and a half. And I, I feel like this whole division is going to come down to which quarterback plays the best. Uh, it seems like that you know the Falcons have done a lot during the offseason to improve the defense. The Saints went out and got Derek Carr, and the Panthers get the the rookie quarterback here. I think this is a fascinating division, and I think it's going to be better than than we think it is. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating division too. I think it's a close division. Um, from having worked with the Saints back in the day, I can tell you from being in the NFC South that these teams know each other well. They play each other very competitively, even when one team's up and another team's down. That that seems to be how it shakes out. Not a lot of love for for the Bucks right now, and I think you know, understandably, yeah. with with the way their roster's looking. But all of these teams, like the the Panthers, have a really good defense, mm-hmm. and like you said, if the quarterback comes along and he can progress really quickly, it's easy to see them winning the division. You look at the Falcons and their skill position players on offense. Again, they're put everybody around Ritter to see where he could really succeed, and they've paid their offensive line now in front of him. With them, I have major questions about their defense. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Saints, I think the model likes them just a little bit more because this was a team that is probably developmentally a year ahead of those other teams. And that comes back to the quarterback. Um, Our statistics really like Derek Carr. Um, We definitely see him as as a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. Whereas I think maybe the perception is he's maybe more somebody that you win in spite of. He's a guy that can rack up yards. We expect him to play good quarterback for them there and around the rest of the roster that they built there. Um, we see them being a decent team, but yeah, pretty good toss up between those three in terms of who's going to come out of it. And, you know, yeah. yeah, like you said, if it, if it, if it comes down to quarterbacks, I would bet on Carr out of those three for this year, but uh, you know, who knows? Last two teams I want to ask you about the other two teams in the division here with the Eagles and and the Cowboys. I'm going to start with the Giants, who uh, the Eagles beat three times last year, but uh, they certainly improved last season under Brian Dable. Uh, and uh, I know the the optimism in New York continues that they're going to get better. What do your models say about the Giants here in 2023? Model didn't like the Giants. Model only had them for eight wins this year, like the Vikings that we mentioned earlier our statistics basically considered them the two most fraudulent teams last year. Mm. Um, They won more games than they should have based on a whole lot of underlying metrics. Um, They were below average on both offense and defense net last year by our metrics. 
Um, what I think went well for them, and another statistic that came up um, as we were doing some research, Saquon Barkley last year hit the design gap on his run plays at the highest rate of any running back in the league. Wow. And if you think back to Saquon Barkley, what he was at Penn State, what he's been early in his career, he's been the Barry Sanders type where he'll lose yardage, but he'll break off the big gains and that sort of a thing. So the knock has always been that he doesn't hit the gap as the play is designed and he's, he dances around too much. Well, whatever Brian Dayball did last year, it convinced him to get in and hit the hole and hit the hole quickly. And he married that up to what Daniel Jones does well, which is unfortunately for the giants run and not throw. <laughs> um, but um, now the question becomes with all the unhappiness with Saquon Barkley, can he do that again? Can he be the disciplined sort of runner that he was uh, when healthy last year so that they can uh, progress more in that same direction? I think that's realistic, but I think what the model sees is more likely to win that many games with Daniel Jones as quarterback. It's just not a high probability thing. Um, and uh, so that's what it comes down to for the model. That's what it comes down to for me, honestly. And finally, Washington commanders, um, they just continue to wander in the desert. Uh, what are you, like More of that this year, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the commanders are super weird. This was another one that we were pretty afraid of. Uh, we kind of wanted to stay away from it for a while. But then actually, towards the end of the draft, we had uh, Alex jump in taking the under and James jumping in taking the over. Um, the model just has them at five wins this year. Mm. So if you're going to find a way to outperform that, it's uh, the quarterback situation, um, right? Like if if uh, you get Sam Howell uh, being a real world beater and something that, that um, if he really hits and is a, a great player – then, they, yeah, they probably easily go over this. Uh, they've got a fantastic defensive line, arguably the best defensive line in the league when you look at their front four there. So it's not like they're a team without strengths, but if Howell's not great, it's hard to see how they ever score enough to win games. Yeah. And with all of the confusion in Washington and them probably looking to kind of like hit the restart button in a larger way, um, I, I think that I think that it's unlikely that, that he does a lot there. So... I'm 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 out on this one. Uh, James had some more positivity because he said, "Hey, like he only has to be better than Ty Tyler Haneke, um, and and Heineke could win seven games uh, yeah. in the past couple of years." So maybe maybe there's something to be said there, but um, really, I, I wouldn't expect too much from them. Yeah. Um, in fact, I might even expect more if they were playing their backup quarterback. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm. I was thinking the same thing. I think at some point uh, this year, it could. It could certainly. Uh, it could certainly be that they end up going with Jacoby Brissett as opposed to uh, Sam Howell if they if they want to win this year. Which I, you know, with Eric Bieniemy now at the offense at the offensive coordinator. Um, it's an it's a different uh, scenario that they've had, and maybe with the departure of Dan Snyder, the the a little bit of the cloud lifts off the organization. But there's still miles to go uh, before Washington's able to kind of get back on, into being a competitive team each and every week. Well, look, this is and everybody can hear their whole draft on the Off the Charts Football Podcast from last week. They did an AFC one the week before that, and they've got a new one out today uh, where they really take a deep dive into some of the analytics, and they actually have a segment about the Eagles' defensive EPA difference between the rush and the pass. That's about eighteen minutes in so if you want to listen to that um you can you can absurd check that. statistics absurd <laughs> i just i know that was a whole lot of um that was a whole lot of inside football stuff there guys so um but it's it makes sense when you hear it so just give it a listen if you would matt manicharian senior vice president football and data analytics with sis again follow him on twitter at matt mano matt thanks for coming on eye on the enemy man i appreciate it thanks for having me 
Well, one last thing uh, before we wrap things up, some interesting comments and news coming out of Washington Commander's Camp this week. Ron Rivera said this week that some players came to talk to him about new offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy's intensity in practice. He said there were he said some of these players were quote a little concerned. He said he told them to meet with Bieniemy and they did and as they talked and listened to him, it's been enlightening. Now, having said that, the following day at practice Ron Rivera tried to walk back some of those comments by reading a written statement where he essentially said, um, uh, you know what, let me just play it so you, so you can hear what, what, what he had to say. I want to open up with this pretty much. You know, I realized my comments yesterday took on a different life than I intended yesterday. And that's on me for not being as clear as I needed to be. I'll own that. At the end of the day, we know that we're trying to build here and we're all aligned. As I've said many times since I've Hired Eric, I love the overall message that he gave to the team his first day, and that was basically, we gotta learn to be comfortable when we're uncomfortable. And I think what's happened is for those guys on that side of the ball, things are uncomfortable. There's been a lot of change. And the entire way of doing things has changed on the offensive side. Change is hard, and I've always encouraged our players to have great dialogue and build relationships with our staff. Since those conversations took place with Eric and the players, I've seen the improvements. And I can honestly say that the last couple of practices probably have been the best in training camp, which I think is great. To me, that displays a team is beginning to embrace the message and approach to how he does things and how we want things done. I also want to clear the reverence I made about Jack in comparison to Eric. I did not communicate that correctly and I met with Eric. We had a great conversation and that was cool. I think the biggest thing is that we're all on the same page, everybody. I'm fortunate to have an experienced staff, guys like Eric and Jack, and a roster of players who want to help this franchise take the next step. We're all working to build a culture where players and staff can respect each other's point of views and the way that we do things and continue to be very professional with one another. At the end of the day, we're all a family and we're working towards the same goal this time. I just wanted to get that out there so everybody understands I wasn't as clear as I probably needed to be. And I own that, and that's on me. All right. First, first of all, what what is the deal with the written statement? Like, are we? Are, is Ron Rivera has he lost the capacity for independent thought and speech, or were, were his comments uh, earlier in the week so ill advised that the the Washington Commanders front office and the new ownership, uh, led by Josh Harris, did did they did they write this out for him? Did they want to make sure that he said the right things that didn't paint their new offensive coordinator in a negative light? Because I'll tell you what it didn't do. I don't believe it painted Eric Bieniemy in a negative light. What it did is make his players look like they have the biggest of big loser energy. Like why, even if the players did come and say this to you, which I'm sure they did, why bring it up to the media in the first place? Why are you even mentioning this? Is he, are you trying to sandbag the enemy because you're worried he's going to take your job? Because guess what? He probably is going to take your job at some point here, Ron Rivera. Here's a guy from the Andy Reid coaching tree in Eric Bieniemy, right? He's been an integral part of two Super Bowl champions. He has been an integral part in turning Patrick Mahomes into maybe the best quarterback we've ever seen. Not saying a lot with Tom Brady having just retired. He's not ahead of Tom Brady yet. But in terms of overall talent, 
I think you could make the argument Mahomes is the most talented quarterback in NFL history. You think Eric Bieniemy didn't have anything to do with that? You would think that a guy like that has instant credibility when he comes to an organization that has done nothing but lose for the better part of a generation. And yet here you have some commanders players, a, members of a consistently losing franchise with a losing culture for the last 25 years and losing players. And they're going to fuss that he's too intense. They have the gall to say boo about this. Are you kidding me? Where, where do you get the stones to go up to a two-time Super Bowl champion offensive coordinator, a guy who's going to be a head coach someday, a guy who's going to probably be your head coach someday, after you've had nothing but a losing culture for the last quarter century and go up and tell him that you're worried about his intensity? That's soft. That is softness. That is that is Charmin's softness. Whatever style Commander's players were used to, it needed to be obliterated. And how can you not see that if you're a commander's player? The lack of self-awareness and situational awareness it takes to not only be that soft of a player to believe that your, your offensive coordinator is too intense, but then to voice it to your head coach to you know go behind the offensive coordinator's back and tattle to the head coach or try and get the head coach to fight your battles for you, that's also soft. But to even to even say something about it and then for the head coach to share that with the media and then it just gets worse, right? Then to issue a retraction in a written statement that sounded like a PR firm wrote it. I, I, I Listen, I live in the D.C. area. I'm surrounded by Commanders fans. And one thing that Commanders fans have been always been able to lean back on, like uh, like it's their, been their bedrock ever since he took ownership of the team, was that Dan Snyder was the problem. And I think every problem that the Washington Commanders have had over the last 25 years have been laid at the feet, and justly so, at the owner, who is undoubtedly the worst owner in professional sports. There's some competition there for sure, but he was the worst owner in professional sports. The entire city has exhaled now that he's gone. But there's another side to that coin. When stuff like this happens, you can't blame the ownership. Now, the culture doesn't change overnight. It doesn't do a 180. And it sounds like Biennemi is bringing in a little bit of a culture shock to the Washington Commander's locker room, which is needed. Desperately. And what Ron Rivera needed to say to any of his players and make this clear to the media is you guys need to shut up and get on board. But instead, he made it sound like, well, you know, if you have a grievance, you should probably take it up with him. You know, I don't you know, it's it's are you a disinterested third party or do you have your offensive coordinators back? Ron Rivera didn't it didn't sound to me like he had his back. It's just one quote. But I mean, and then the written statement the day after was cringy. Like he's sitting at the he's sitting at the dais, kind of, and this paper is off to his right, and he's kind of half reading the paper with the statement on it, clearly written by a PR a member of the the PR staff. Look, you can't blame Dan Snyder for stuff anymore. He's gone. This is the kind of stuff that you see in a losing culture. And it's one of the reasons why the commanders have lost for so long. It's one of the reasons the Eagles are so successful is because they have a culture of accountability. You've heard 
Nick Sirianni preached this. There was an article, I think, earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, where Nick Sirianni got all over Jalen Hurts when Jalen Hurts didn't do something right in practice, just ripped him a new one. And they do that to create a culture where everyone is accountable. The coaches will rip themselves. They'll rip each other. They're not afraid to rip the star franchise quarterback. And the quarterback embraces it. He wants to be coached hard. He wants to be yelled at if he messes something up. That is a that is a gorgeous culture that promotes winning football. That doesn't mean you're going to win a bunch of championships necessarily because stuff happens. Sometimes you can get on a slippery field and not be able to play. Sometimes you can have an official make a call at the end of the game that he shouldn't have made. Or at least that he hadn't made to that point and decided that was the time to make it. Sometimes those things happen. And even though your culture is great and you're doing everything right, sometimes you don't win at all. But you give yourself a tremendous shot to win it all. You are a perennial Super Bowl contender. One of the ways you do that is by creating this kind of culture. And it's the the stark the starkness between the two cultures with the commanders and the Eagles. This situation and what the Eagles have been preaching this preseason, you can see why. One team is headed in the direction they're in and the other team is headed in the other direction they're in. And, and I'll say this, the, the other reason the commanders continue to have a rough time is I looked back at where they've been over the last decade or so. They've, generally speaking, been just good enough to kind of flirt with 500, six, seven wins, but never really quite bad enough to bottom out and get you in a position to draft that franchise quarterback, except in 2019. 2019 was the only year over over these last 10 years or so that they truly tanked and were horrible. So in the 2020 draft, after a 3-13 and record, which was sandwiched between four seven-win seasons, seven wins, seven wins, three wins, seven wins, seven wins, in, in 2020, for that draft, they got the number two overall pick. The Bengals took Joe Burrow. Hey, can't do anything about that. Washington selected defensive end Chase Young. It looked like a good pick at the time, and in his rookie season, he played very well, but Ever since then, he's constantly been hurt and has been non-existent ever since. Miami, at pick number five, took Tua Tagovailoa, and the Chargers got Justin Herbert at number six. Now, you can argue, would either of those guys have progressed if they had been drafted by the Commanders? The Commanders may have messed up both of them. That's totally true. But, I mean, even if you look at number 26 in the first round, Jordan Love went to the Packers. He would have been better. Of course, everybody passed on Jalen Hurts in the 2020 draft until the Eagles took him in the second round at number 53, the fifth quarterback off the board. But it's those kinds of mistakes that can kill a franchise, and it's one the commanders are still trying to figure out, and they're hoping that Sam Howell, as a much later draft pick, will turn into a franchise quarterback. But the odds of that happening, certainly much less than if they'd gone and drafted Tua or Justin Herbert or even Jordan Love. And Of course, Jalen Hurts uh, would have been great for any of the teams in the first round that passed up on him. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Mike Garofolo and Matt Minicharian for coming on the podcast. Just a reminder, we have got podcasts coming your way every single day, wrap-ups from training camp each and every day with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky, so make sure you are on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Tell your friends about us, leave a five-star rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. G-N. 
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.